The Good Pals Podcast with Matt Stock and Zach Stevens. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode two of The Good Pals Podcast. I am your host, Matt Stock, and I'm up here in the lab on Lagoon Road with my good pal, my producer, and my co-host. Uh, it's Mr. Zach Stevens. Stevens. How you guys doing? Glad, uh, glad to be back for episode two. Uh, man, I'm happy to be back for episode two, and we're only one day behind our scheduled release date right yeah which is good for us i think you know we want to establish some consistency with the podcast but um you know we just went through the holidays so i'm sure everyone will give us one day of lenience for being slightly off schedule because we have a lot of stuff to talk about today and uh one thing that i really want to talk about is a little bit of gratitude because to be quite honest you know when you start a new podcast it takes a little while to get things off the ground you know but we've got quite a few listeners already and uh, we're establishing quite a few followers on social media, and I really want to just thank all you guys for doing that and giving us feedback and talking to us and letting us know that you've enjoyed the pod, giving us lots of suggestions for discussion topics. I mean, we got a bunch for tonight, you know, for, for the topics that we have on hand. But um, but the one thing that goes hand-in-hand hand with the social media, which I think is an important aspect, we have to be on all the platforms. So we have some, you know, we have Instagram, which we launched today. You can give us a follow. That's at Good Pals Podcast. And on Facebook, the Good Pals Podcast, you need some content. And I think one of those things that we needed were um, some photos of the co-hosts. So we just did a little bit of a, a photo shoot. You were, a ba- like, you know, you're worst a fucking... Photo, worst photo shoot of my life. Yeah, you're being a fucking pain in my ass tonight, Stevens. What's up? I'm not very... I don't find myself as a photogenic person. And when a camera gets in my face, I just shut down. You're I, a very handsome boy. Thanks, man. You know this. You sound like my aunt. Well, I guess that's the, the the role that I'm filling in today because I think I took some excellent pictures of you. I think you look great. Your hair is, you know, you said somewhat. Was, you said it was feathered. Yeah, it's a little devil make hair feathered, tussled about. You got a Cosby sweater on, nice blue cable knit. Well, actually, there's a reason I wore this sweater. Um, it's we're covering uh, glass onion today, not the jump to gun, but uh, it's very uh, similar of um, what our friend Chris Evans wears in the first movie, Knives Out. You're going to put yourself on that fashion level? No, I shouldn't have said anything. It's bold. Well, you know what? It's a nice sweater. You're a nice guy, and you're a good pal. We're the good pals. Yeah. This is our podcast, and we've got a few things to talk about today. Uh, we're going to focus a lot on new releases and more recent stuff that's come out. Um, our main topic today is going to be the sequel to Knives Out, Last Onion, a Knives Out mystery, which just dropped on Netflix about a week ago. Yep. A movie that we were both pretty fond of. I loved it. Yeah. As well as its predecessor, 2019's Knives Out. Mm-hmm. There was another recent new release, though, that I went to see this week with some friends. You didn't get to join me for it. I did not. I, I, so my, I don't have a dog in this fight. but uh. And that movie is Babylon. Director Damien Chazelle's follow-up to movies like we, movies we love, like Whiplash. Whiplash. La La, La, La Land. Land. Yep. Uh, First Man, which you say we saw together at the theater, but I don't recall. I swear we saw First Man. You slept through it, but you don't think I mean, happened. it's not out of the realm of possibility that I slept through a movie, but I just don't remember it being with you. But... Really a huge event film, or was set up to be an event film. Huge budget. Uh, it's about the film industry of the 20s and 30s. What a cast. Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, top-lining it. Lots of other stars in it as well. Yet another fucking three-hour and 15-minute movie that I really wanted to like, and I did not like it. Yeah, I think I think we're starting to see this trend that a uh, long movie's... Long, long movie doesn't mean good movie. Yeah. You know? I keep coming back to the words final cut, and I think that some of these directors are getting given final cut by studios, and I mean, it's hard to, you know, I guess it's like, a Sophie, did we talk about this? It's like a Sophie's Choice, like, 
what baby do you, you know, what kid do you give up? What part do you cut out of a movie that you pour your heart and soul into? Yeah. Which is obviously did with this. But it was just kind of a, I thought it was like a little bit crude. I can't believe I'm saying this because it makes me sound prudish. Well, when you have a guy like Damien Chazelle, like, you know, his movies are so niche and they have yeah. their own style. And, you know, you don't want to, I feel like if someone, whoever's producing that movie, you don't want to ruin his artistic vision. But at the same time, you got to be like, look, man, do we need three and a half hours of Babylon? Yeah. You know? Yeah. What I didn't need was in the first three minutes of Babylon, the graphic footage of an elephant shitting all over a couple of the characters in the movie. I mean, graphic and at length, an elephant shitting all over these actors. And for the next hour and 45 minutes or so, I basically felt like I was getting shit on by this movie. It just bombards <laughs> you with obscenity and crude stuff. And I'm as weird as the next person, man. But this is just the, I mean, the, the sex, uh, the drugs. This is, a, this is a drug movie for sure. Um, it pretty much centers around cocaine. It's the driving force yeah, what of were the, the best drugs of the 20s and 30s? Apparently cocaine, and then when they were done with cocaine, it's more cocaine. Yeah, women love speed in that day. It kept them. Uh, I guess Margot Robbie uh, was was all about it. So around the one forty five, man, I was real tired, and I have some defense mechanisms I use to uh, wake myself up at the movies, put my feet down, maybe go outside, cruise a cigarette real fast, smack myself across the face. But I was just like, "Fuck it, man! I'm tired. I'm just gonna go to sleep because I'm not. This movie's not doing it for this me. This movie sucks. Let me go burn a fucking dart real quick. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I gotta review this thing. I need to stay awake. Dang. But I did throw in the towel on Babylon. Uh, some of my friends that were with me disagreed and thought it was an excellent film. Um, I say if you like if you like movies if if you're a, if you like movies about the film industry, or if you like movies about drugs, you might want to check out Babylon, and you may enjoy it. I mean, as an exercise in, I don't know, research or, I mean, masochism in my sense, man. I just, yeah. I didn't dig it. It was a miss for me. And it seems like most moviegoers disagreed. Yeah. Or agreed, rather. Please let us know your opinions, though, because we, you know, we take we like arguments or discussions, rather. Yeah, arguments, sure, you know? sure. I'm like, well, our friend Tyler Dejan, who was with me, thought it was great. He absolutely loved it. Yeah, and we also want to say this. When we put up a discussion post the day before shows, kind of throwing you guys the theme and the what the show is going to be based around. Yeah. We want you to comment. We don't want you to comment 35 times, Tyler Dijon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all the recommendations. We're probably going to get to about three of your recommendations tonight, though. I'm kidding. Tyler Dijon is one of the most well, you know, schooled, well-versed movie fans I've ever A true cineast so, in every yeah. sense of the word. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. someone that we'll definitely be talking to on the show one of these days. Um, so he loved Babylon. I did not. But a movie that we both really dug was Glass Onion. Yeah. A Knives Out mystery just dropped on Netflix. Let's talk a little bit about Knives Out before we get into Glass Onion. Uh, came out in 2019. Writer-director Ryan Johnson. Who has won me back over since his Star Wars disaster. You know when he won me over? When did he win you over? First movie, Brick. Oh. With Joseph uh, Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's like his first big role, his breakout role. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's breakout. Ryan Drug Johnson's movie, right? breakout as a writer and producer. It was a film noir with a cast of all kids. Yeah. Or late teens, you know, mm -hmm. and um, had real like hard nosed dialogue. It followed a standard detective format, like a Dashiell Hammett, you know, uh, femme fatale, Maltese Falcon sort of thing. And it is yeah, a yeah. dope movie that I'm going to throw a quick recommendation uh, out for if you've not seen it. But and Ryan Johnson moved on to do um, a couple other movies. He did a Looper after Brick, um, but where he sort of caught some flack. What did he do, Stevens? He recorded Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and it was a uh Maybe the worst Star Wars film to date. Episode 8, Star Wars yeah. The Last Jedi, right? Um, definitely the most contentious, I think, amongst all the entries. 
He I put a note in there. I'm pouring some water for my Brita. Sorry if this is a uh, unpleasant. We're not trying to do an ASMR podcast, but uh, got to do this. You got to be out of your mind right now. Oh, I can hear it in the headphones. I have a hoarse throat. I'm sorry. Yeah. Episode two of the Good Pals podcast brought to you by Britta. Man, that's some tasty water. So we're back. Ryan Johnson screws the pooch for a lot of filmdom <laughs> with Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. Uh, really overturned some character conventions. Uh, a lot of people thought everyone was acting out of character. Just did not like the film at all. Yeah, not. It was a big miss for sure. And as a result, he's removed from the Star Wars franchise. He was supposed to be on for episode nine and said J.J. Abrams jumps back in, makes the rise of Skywalker, which you also hated. I didn't hate that movie. I just thought it was a ton of fan service. There was nothing original about it. It was, I don't know. So what does Ryan Johnson do, I think, to get the, get the taste of like dealing with a big stu- a studio and a big, um, and a big franchise out of his mouth? Because it left him with really negative feelings about himself and work going forward. Yeah. The result is Knives Out. So... You know what the term IP means, Stevens? Um, no. It means intellectual property. Okay. You'll probably hear me saying that a lot on the podcast. I meant like IP address. So movies based on IP, a.k.a. intellectual property, are Star Wars films, comic book films, Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Shit that comes from like proven quantities and other mediums that is then adapted into film. That's all IP. There are fewer and fewer and fewer non-intellectual property films being made in Hollywood these days. And I think that's a fucking shame. But, you know, it comes down to what sells tickets. And Knives Out was a non-IP original concept film that Johnson wrote and directed. And it's an old-school murder mystery with an ensemble cast. Tonight's theme, the ensemble cast. Uh, Who we got in Knives Out? In Knives Out, we have Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc. Yes. Um, We have Ana de Armas, everyone's favorite Hollywood sweetheart That was her breakout role. Yeah, yeah. She plays the uh, housemaid in the Mm -hmm. first movie. Right? Am I wrong? Am I wrong about that? Yes. Okay. Okay. Just want to. Uh, Chris Evans is uh, the cunning, charming. I guess it would be a. I don't want to. I don't. I mean, this movie's been out long enough. He is the the villain of that movie. He was the villain. <laughs> what about my girlfriend? Who else is in that movie? Uh, you have many girlfriends. Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Tony Collette. America's sweetheart. Well, I'm a big Tony Collette. I don't like A24 that much, man. I know. <laughs> I, I like Michael Shannon. I loved his role in that movie. Michael Shannon's great in everything. The best. So, what a great ensemble cast, a bunch of really good actors, really funny movie. And the main thing I want to focus on when we talk about this, which I guess is now a franchise because there will be more Knives Out films, including After Glass Onion, is I want to talk about Daniel Craig and his performance as Benoit Blanc. Yeah. The world's greatest detective. Which, I mean, what what a what a change of pace to go from being, as some argue, as the best Bond yes. of all time to this uh, gay eccentric mm-hmm. uh, and the accent, yeah, Southern. I mean, he's yeah, this, 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 the Southern accent, it's sort of like a Southern, sort of like a Southern gent. I don't think you can get farther away from James Bond than Benoit Blanc, except for. The only thing that ties them together is that they both work in crime. I, I guess, yeah, you know? well, and I think and, and I think that's a lot of intention in that on Craig's part because not a huge secret in Hollywood and in the film community that after about the, fir- the first two Bond films, he was fucking over it. Like, he was trying to get out as soon as he got in almost, even after Casino Royale. Well, there's a lot more depth to Daniel Craig than people give him credit for, but when you do Agreed. Bond, you're signing on to a decade of work. You know, hard, yeah. hard fucking work, yeah, too. Yeah, but he didn't... I don't know if he got himself into an extended contract. I think they just kept giving him more and more money to stick around. And on the good side of that, we end up getting Skyfall, 
Oh. You know, which I consider to be the best Bond film of all time. It is the best Bond film. I mean, you'll have people argue uh, Casino Royale, and I'm not going to argue with him because it's wonderful, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You have, I Mad, mean, you have Mads Mikkelsen as the villain. And, and but it's, the, his performance as Bond was never off. I mean, he was putting the work in and doing it, but the yeah. films were of varying quality, and he was very public about being sick of it. And you can't get farther away from James Bond than Benoit Blanc, and he really relishes the role. You know, he's like unflappable in his own way. He's he's also sort of tough. It's the smartest guy in the room. There's he made no it his own. I'm, I'm not sure if they uh, how many people they auditioned for Benoit Blanc, but yeah. does it not seem like that he is Benoit Blanc? Like yeah. it was made for him. You yeah, know, yeah. I think he had a lot to do, and uh, I'm sure that Johnson wrote a pretty good outline of of who Benoit Blanc is. But I'm sure that Craig added some flourishes to it. And uh, when I think about you know, I think about Bond. I think about Judy Dench, who played M in the Bond films. Oh. She called him a blunt instrument, right? She said, Bond, you're a blunt instrument, like a killing mm -hmm. machine. Benoit Blanc is the complete opposite of the spectrum from that. I don't believe I see him commit any acts of violence in the Knives Out films. No, and in this movie, he had actually, when shit hits the fan, he's over being a detective. He wants to, like, help people, but, yeah. you know, yeah. then we all get, we get to the... Yeah, he's cool under pressure and everything, but it's just an entirely different way. He's a thinking man. In, the in, the in thinking man's thinking the, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So with uh with Knives Out, it was you know, a murder mystery, some great plot twists, great performances. Blanc, of course, gets his man. And um with Glass Onion, I think it's got it's more uh it's thematically different and that I think it's satirical and it's making a statement about let's say influencer culture. Yeah, let's dive into the characters of the movie real quick yeah. because I mean, just right off the bat, the first basically the first twenty minutes is introducing to uh the audience, the the people that are going to be going to this island, yeah, um, which is Miles Braun sends out invitations to his closest circle of friends. So Miles Braun, who is a character, not even loosely, but pretty much directly based on Elon Musk, yeah, is played here by Edward Norton uh, in a very good performance. He sends puzzle boxes out to our main characters, and they're very intricately designed. Wooden boxes that open up and involve a series of puzzles. And Fibonacci sequences. Yes, yes. yes. Fibonacci Tricky sequences. Stuff. stuff that eventually gets them an invitation to a private island for what is to be a staged murder mystery kind of party. Now, who's he sending these invitations to? His closest circle of friends. His which, closest circle of friends. And they're all, they all happen to kind of be um, like, I don't know what word to use, but just they're, they're they're like tropes. They're, soci they're societal tropes. They of are. People they in, are tropes. In, you know. uh, in some senses, like influencer types. You've got Kate Hudson as a, uh, Bird, as a Mrs. Birdie J. Mrs. Birdie. Yeah, she's a. She's a. She became a sweatpants, a sweatpants multimillionaire during the pandemic. Yeah, but is plagued by lots of uh, casually uh, casual racism and missteps on social media. That's got her image bad, so she's in trouble. Uh, the great Dave Batista. Now let me. Let's talk about let's Batista. Ask, let's ask the listeners of the show, and I'll ask you this. Is Dave Batista the best WWE star turned actor? No. The Rock is? Mm, no. The who Rock is? does the same thing every time. I know, but who is the, the dearly departed Rowdy Roddy Piper is the greatest of all time. You're going to have to educate me a little bit here. Yeah, we will. But you know, Batista is very good. Um, you know, there's what do you think about these he has wrestling range, actors? Man, he's range. Yeah, he's he he's, in Dune this year. Do you remember him in Dune? Yeah, he gets really good projects. I mean, he was in Blade Runner. He was in Dune. He can do oh, comedy. 
He's Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, where he is basically the central comic character of those movies. Yeah. You know, source of comic relief. And he's funny as hell in this movie, too. So he's the best living wrestling actor for sure. I'm glad that you knew he was a wrestler. I was going to quiz you on that. I didn't know if you were aware of that, that portion I knew, of his I own. knew him as. I don't, hey, if it ever gets nippy in here, I might give you a Batista bomb. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look at that knowledge. Look at that knowledge. Nice job. Batista's like a Twitch guy, right? So he's a Twitch guy, but not only is that, he's a he's kind of a play on today's like macho man influencer. Yes. Kind of, he like sells dick pills. He like, uh, he's got like, you know, he's, uh, I'm trying to think, he's like, the liver, he's like the liver king of this movie. Is there a bit of an accentuated or slightly exaggerated Joe Rogan-esque sort of philosophy behind some of his ramblings? I will say Joe Rogan is probably someone they wrote him around. I think yeah. that's, I think that's part of it. For sure. Um, and you have another tech inventor guy. Um. Well, you kind of have his right hand man in the company, his like a uh, his sci- like his scientist. Yeah, who's to sign off on his on his crazy ideas, and an old friend who is now a politician, a, ra- a rapidly rising politician, played by the amazing Catherine Hahn. Always funny, man. Do you remember your first Catherine Hahn experience? Uh, I think it was. Um what movie is she, is she in Step Brothers? That's exactly where I'm going. That she's the mom. She she's is the Derek's brother's mom. Wife. Step Brothers. Yeah, she cheats with John C. Riley, and she goes, "I just want to hold you up in a little ball and shove you inside me." Dude, she's the only funny thing in Step Brothers. Oh, um, unpopular opinion, guys. Sorry, not a Step Brothers guy. Big Catherine really, really Hahn guy, though. She's uh, she's awesome. She's become sort of like she's a surefire, like comedic supporting actress, like Joan Cusack. She sort of reminds me of. But but in this movie, she's really not hitting the comedy head on the nail. No, she's she's, she's kind of proving herself as like a. Uh, I mean, she she's seriously great as a, the politician in this movie. Yeah, I, mean, I think they give, he gives Kate Hudson a lot of the juicy the juicy comedy stuff in this. Rightfully so, she crushed. She does a great job in it, and she looks great. That, yeah, there's a props, there's a pool scene you know? in that movie that kind of uh, I had to hit the 15 seconds back button on the TV just to see Kate Hudson. So you and water scenes lately. There's a thing going on. First it was the girls in Avatar. <laughs> Now it's Kate Hudson having to swim in uh, Glass Onion. At least they're not blue anymore, Matt. Come yeah. on. Give me a break. So this group of friends is invited under not really mysterious pretenses. It's a weekend getaway with a phony murder mystery wrapped up in the middle of it. But there ends up being a couple uninvited guests to the house. What is the Glass Onion, by the way, Stevens? Because that's a part of what this island is. So the Glass Onion was their college bar that they all met in. Correct. We're leaving out a central character, but um, Miles Braun... Edward Norton's character mm-hmm. and Jamel, Janelle Monet's character, Andy Brand, started this company together. I'm one of the uninvited guests I was going to mention. Yeah, but, yeah, you yeah. Know, you roll with it, bud. <laughs> I'm sorry. Janelle Monet, awesome. The best. She was his partner. They started a tech company together. Yes. And along with all these other friends, they were all just, you know, they all came up together. It's like a fun success story kind of thing. But, you know, of course, and the issues become involved because this company gets huge. And they kind of screw Janelle Monet out of the company. Yeah, she um, loses out on the in the legal suit of the. But she sure shows up on the boat somehow to go to the Glass Onion to the island, and who else is on the boat? Mister Ben Wamblock. Yes, himself. the world's greatest detective, the smooth character Daniel Craig, gets summoned, relaxing at home while Zoom chatting with some of the most famous people in the world. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He has a network of homies. This film has some great cameos in it. Like re- really good cameos. His boyfriend Hugh Grant opens the door. Hugh Grant, as his boyfriend, yeah, opens the yeah. The, the apartment door. So Benoit Blanc out as a uh, homosexual lead character, and you know that's important for Craig and it's important for Johnson too. And it's just a really dope character, regardless of sexuality. But yeah, we he, do learn that Blanc nor Janelle Monae's character. Tell me your name again. Andy Brand. Andy Brand 
not invited to the island yet somehow get on the boat and get there. Yeah. They somehow acquired invitations outside of Edward Norton's range of knowledge. Correct. So they're there. And it starts off with um, uh, basically the, uh, the, the dinner party that's going to kick off the murder mystery. And what happens is, well, Norton has this whole, what he thinks is an intricate fake murder set up. And uh, the first three minutes of dinner, Blanc solves the entire murder mystery, thereby sort of popping the cherry of the whole big weekend. And it seems like, well, what's going to happen now? Because this is like 15 minutes into the film, you know. But what happens is then the bodies really start dropping. Yeah. And we have a legit murder mystery on our hands that involves a lot of cool usage of the island itself, which is like a technological wonder, and some very surprising flashback sequences that basically rewind the whole film for about 45 minutes. my favorite aspect of the movie. I mean, I think right now, as far as movies coming out, I mean, that and its predecessor, Knives Out, are the only kind of movies doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Show, literally showing you what's going to happen and then, uh, you know, reversing it and explaining it in a way of how it actually yeah, transpired. Sure. You like know, a tr- sleight of hand, a trick of the mind, a trick of the eye, whatever. Amazing, yeah. Johnson uses lots of the things that make for a great mystery film, which you don't see that often anymore. I can't sit here and like rip off a bunch of good mysteries. So it's good, I guess, in a way. It's good that we're talking well, about ensemble cast tonight and not mysteries because... Um, well, it's, it's nice to have a... It's nice to have a movie that you can't predict in the first 20 minutes anymore, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, and then that was the, and that's the same thing, you know, the, the, uh, the marketing didn't fuck it up for people. Like I saw, I watched the Glass Onion trailer and. Well, did this movie fall flat? Did we. What fall flat? Well, I mean, it's on Netflix. So streaming metrics are different from. It had a limited box office release. That's done to, uh, make it eligible for awards. And did it not, did it not release in, um, like art house theaters? Yeah, it was out for like a weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they pulled it, and then they put it back out on Netflix. So, gotcha. It's difficult to measure success, but it has been streamed, you know, hundreds of millions of times, I guess. And when you had probably had a lot of families home for Christmas watching it, like you, yeah, you know, and that's when I watched it, and it's very well reviewed. You said your mom got a little iffy about it. Iffy about it? No, she like, yeah, she looked, liked it. She liked it. I think she was a little confused, maybe. Yeah, I was confused too for a minute though. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, my mom's not a big, you know, she's not a big movie gal. She stays busy. She stays on the go. Like, me and my dad watched Die Hard. My mom made cookies. There we go. You know, and sat down and watched some portions of it. But the only the only movies I've seen her sit through this year are this, Glass Onion, which means she liked it somewhat, and Top Gun Maverick, which she loved. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Yeah, Mom is the best. So, Glass Onion, a good, fun film. These movies are fun. I mean, there are people getting killed. So I mean, it's not like you know. There's 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 some stakes involved, but they keep it light, and it's all about these actors bouncing off one another. Absolutely. I mean, the just the comedy between Kate Hudson and Miles Braun alone, and Benoit Blanc. He Benoit Blanc practically teases her the entire movie. Yeah. You know, he's aware that he's um, he's he's a, intellectually. And morally, far above everyone that he's dealing with in this movie, with the exception of one key character who we're not gonna, who we're not gonna give away who that is. But he is an ally in all of this, mm-hmm. and um, it's they they do sort of they do sort of bat these people around, you know, like toys. At least the ones that aren't losing their lives. Yeah, but it's it's sexy, it's fun, it's yes. funny. I mean, 
it's the first movie I've seen in, in a few weeks where I went, oh, I'm really digging this. You know? Yeah, it's a super. And, I, and that's not a knock to Avatar. We, I did enjoy Avatar, but long fucking movie, Maddie. <laughs> very long, very long. This one not too long at all, and that was fine. It's sub two hours, and it's a good watch, man. If you got Netflix, which pretty much everyone on the globe does, and I love destination movies. I don't know about you. I love when the movie starts somewhere, and then we we're, t- we're taken to a place where the whole movie will occur. Yeah. Do you dig that? Oh yeah, sure. Okay, sure. You a couples retreat fan? Not really. No. You, uh, you mean of the movie or going on them? The movie. I love a couple's retreat. It's a good time. Oh, okay. Not the movie going on a couple's retreat. Oh, I've never been on one. I haven't been on one since the fucking 90s, but I mean, they were <laughs> pretty cool as I remember them. So anyone wants to go on a couple's retreat, let me know. I'm ready. God <laughs> help me. <laughs> so I recommend uh, Glass Onion big time. And also recommend if you haven't seen the original Knives Out, that's streaming on Netflix too. Watch them both. It doesn't really matter what order you watch them in. They're not, you know, they're not chronological. Good mystery movies featuring strong, strong ensemble casts. What is an ensemble cast, Stevens? Um, it's just a movie built of just a, an amazing group of actors and actresses that sometimes hit and sometimes don't. Not a particular lead, right, per se, in these movies. It's no. a team effort. Like, all the way. There's somewhere a certain, a certain actor will jump out as a leading character, Um one example that I brought up that I think is on the line, so I'm not really going to get too into it, is The Departed, Martin Scorsese film. I think that in that movie, Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon were both leads as far as the mobster and the cop, you know, opposing each other. They were surrounded by great actors. Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin, Mark Wahlberg, um, Ray Winstone, Mr. French, the right-hand yeah. man. But it wasn't quite an ensemble. But we know some movies where I think it is a total team effort. And I think some of my favorite movies, in fact, two of my, what I would call my top five movies, which changes a lot, are ensemble casts. I've almost given up doing my top fives for people. I I, I now give top five genre-wise because it's, it's just a lot easier. Yeah, way, I, you know? last year I did like a, I tried to do a comprehensive top five. And I've na- I was able to narrow it down to a top sixteen. Well, it's ever changing because a movie yeah. a movie hits you when it needs to hit you, you mm-hmm. know, and that's when you can throw it in the mix. Well, I want to talk about one that I know will always be in the top five, and for me, it's the single greatest ensemble cast of all time. It's from nineteen ninety seven. It's the second film from my favorite director, Paul Thomas Anderson, and it's Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Boogie fucking nights. Listen. Um, a rise and fall story, you know, a bunch of individuals whose lives are intertwined in the pornography business in the 70s in Southern California. This is an ensemble cast uh, unlike any other that I've ever seen. Um, Mark Wahlberg, one of his first films, the first very serious film. Uh, you got Burt Reynolds in a part that he fired his agent for talking him into taking, ended up getting nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> Julianne Moore, Heather Graham, Luis Guzman. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Don Cheadle as Buck. Don Cheadle as Buck Swope. And William H. Macy, Heather Graham. I mean, and and the dearly departed Philip Seymour Hoffman as Scotty. Yeah, rest in peace. So, uh, yeah, and and this movie was a bit of a breakout for him. Philip Seymour Hoffman came up a theater actor, classically trained, right? Made his bones in a lot of ensemble films. Well, and then became a go-to Paul Thomas Anderson. Cast yeah, he's until in, the day he dies. Yeah, I mean, of all all PTA stuff, and ended up working with some of the best directors and writers because he is that talented. In this, he's a he's a sympathetic, heartbreaking character in Boogie Nights, surrounded by 
a bunch of shitty people, you know, or people with good intentions that do bad things. Dumb people. Uh, pornography business, of course, you know, the, the drugs, the violence, the, the crime and everything. It's all very graphically laid out, but the all the, the all the weight is split between 10 very capable actors in this case, and they all get a moment to shine. And what's nuts is where these actors' careers went after this movie. Up, I, I, up, I would say up, everyone up, went up. up. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's just, I mean, it's a great film. It can, in ways, it can be a tough watch. You know, when the any, anything is a rise and fall element. You got to put on your 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 big boy pants to watch. Yeah, movie, but you know? I think anyone that uh, what what I can't say enough, and I've been saying this since I saw it in the theater when I came out, is you just if you're turned off by the subject matter of pornography, um, I hate to give you some bad news, but it's a pretty big part of American culture. People get turned off by porn. What's that? You said turned off. If you're turned off by the subject matter, like you know, I, I, oh, I don't, don't want to watch a movie about pornography. I know. I know. Oh, you're being a smart ass. Yeah. Okay. Imagine right. that. Boogie Nights is uh, an American, modern American masterpiece, in my opinion, and uh, I think everyone should see it. And really, if they, re- if you want to see it, if you want to see it, a bunch of chefs cooking in the kitchen at the same time, like this is the movie for it. Um, I love it. It's one What's of my favorite films. Boogie too Nights. many, too many uh, chefs in the kitchen makes the. I- I'm asking you. Isn't there a saying about too many chefs? The soup go bad or something like something, that. Something along those lines. Yeah, I don't know, but um. But could not, couldn't recommend a film more highly. Don't think there's ever been a greater ensemble cast. Uh, there's one that I can think of that's going to be but, but be my second choice, and you brought it up, Stevens, as one of your favorites. It's from another favorite director of ours, Wes Anderson. What is that movie? Well, you said Royal Tenenbaums, but I would uh, I wouldn't say that's my favorite of his. Okay. I, I mean, I personally like Grand Budapest that cast, but that's not that's not as big as an ensemble as Tenenbaums. Correct. So I'm, Correct. I'm, you know, I do. Th- I thought. I thought at lunch earlier you said we brought the Royal Tenenbaums up. I so love the Royal Tenenbaums, and I think as far as an ensemble cast goes, it's it's one of the ones that doesn't fall flat. It crushes all the way through every second of the movie. Uh, like Boogie Nights, the Royal Tenenbaums falls into a certain category or genre that really suits the ensemble cast dynamic, and that's um, dysfunctional family film. So many dysfunctional family films have great ensemble casts. The Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Jesus. I mean, it starts with Gene Hackman at the top as Royal Tenenbaum, the father figure of a mixed-up group of kids. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow, Luke Wilson, Ben Stiller. Angelica Houston as the wife. and uh, Bill like Murray, a f- Danny Glover. <laughs> a family sort of, of, of wildly, a wildly split-apart family trying desperately to reconnect amidst a whole bunch of emotional wreckage. And shot in the beautiful framework of Wes Anderson. He has such an aesthetic. Yeah, I mean. He has such an attention to detail and wardrobe and stuff. Like, you could watch it. I can, so I, I can identify so. a Wes Anderson film in, like, fucking five minutes or less. You know, just looking Absolutely. at the. Absolutely. Yeah. And people people are so accustomed to, to the way that he shoots now. Yeah. There, I follow an Instagram page called Act, at Accidentally Wes Anderson. And it, it's people walking around, and they'll like find a building that is symmetrical and post it, and they're like, "This could be a Wes Anderson flick." <laughs> I gotta look at that. Do they yeah. dig pictures of like people and stuff too? That look All like maybe the they. All fucking time. This dude. is like this is like the, the social media of my dreams. It's called accidentally Wes Anderson. No, I'm gonna spend a couple hours on that tonight, probably. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I think I have much else to do anyway, but that seems like time well. That seems like free time well spent to me, brother. Oh yeah. The Royal Tenenbaums. Wes Anderson has a, a few. He he has. 
uh, what they say with a lot of directors is they have a company. You know, like a theater has a company of like established actors. Some directors have a company, like, and they'll it'll rotate from time to time. But Wes Anderson, uh, you know, is always going to have Bill Murray. He's always he's always got Owen, always, yeah, Owen Wilson, the Wilson brother, you know, who used to be his co-writer as well. Uh, he uses Adrian Brody writers. quite a bit too. Sure, for uh, you know, for a guy who's not getting as much work, yeah. as he used to. Yeah. So, and he and he does and he does great stuff. I mean, we talked about directors that don't miss. I don't think that Wes Anderson mm. misses very often. Some people might think he missed this year, Maddie. Well, Last I year, I didn't see the French Dispatch yet. Some people think he missed. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't admit those kind of things. I'm going to lose some street cred. I, I have yet to see the French Dispatch, but I'm sure I'll at least enjoy well, some aspects of it. We'll absolutely have a Wes Anderson night one yeah. night and uh, an episode on. Yeah, on the Boogie Nights and, and Royal Tenenbaums are films I want to discuss at length on other podcasts. Probably when we discuss those directors. Got to jump into one of my favorite ensembles, though. Yes. Steal a little thunder from you. Um, we've talked. We've talked the cream of the crop as far as directors go, and you yeah. know, I always kiss Christopher Nolan's ass. Sure. And always will. And how can you not bring up Inception? You know, I mean, yeah. Y- you're looking at Leo, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Elliot Page, uh, Tom Hardy, and Killian Murphy, and and like Wes Anderson, and and like PTA, this guy's got his cast. You know, I like that he's got Tom Hardy on on the team. He's got him on the because team. you get a lot of diversity out of Tom Hardy. He's not just a brute. Well, as Tom Hardy's like the Swiss Army knife in his movies, man. Yes. because he uh, he just you don't know what to expect from him, and then he just kills his percentage of the movie. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like whatever role he's giving, he does not fuck it up. Yeah, and I think he spends a lot of time on developing his character and like and getting into it. And so it's something where he can be a really overwhelming, like powerful presence. But can also be subtle and blend into a cast like this, and this, and I think in Inception, you know, the effects and the plot drive so much of it that you don't have any real over-the-top alpha performances from these guys. You know what it is? It's like they're, it's a, it's a like a men on a mission movie sort of. They've got a team, you know, like a cool. They're all cool. Let me ask you this: Who's your favorite re- reoccurring actor or actress in a Christopher Nolan flick? For me, yeah. Um, I mean, probably Hardy, right? Yeah, Hardy. I mean, I, I love Killian Murphy, but Michael. Um, are you gonna say Michael Caine? I was gonna say Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do a Michael Caine impersonation? I can't do a Michael Caine impersonation. No, I can't. I no, try. you can't actually. That's very. Not. It's very cocky. That was bad. Zach's the, I'm not being hard on Zach. Trust me, he's a very skilled impressionist. I am. Michael Caine's one of those ones that was just like, how, you know, you gotta. Yeah, I think everyone's. Few. It's like one of those. Everyone's got a Michael Caine. Everyone's got a Jeff Goldblum. I mean, I'm certainly not going to attempt either of them. What did he say? You don't you know the secret. <laughs> That's worse than mine. <laughs> the fuck? Slam dunked it. <laughs> See, I'll walk away and work on my Michael Zach is a, is that Well, Zach will, you know, he's like many things in life. Zach will spend five minutes trying to impersonate Michael Caine and we'll fucking perfect it. Much to our confusion and consternation. And Matt but, will um, leave this podcast thinking he has already perfected it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a good friend of Zach Stevens and you spend a lot of time around him, chances are he does a good impersonation of you. And that's what I've been told about me. He insists it's not the case, but I've been told by many, many people that it is a very good impersonation. One day I'll hear it. I feel like I do it musically as well. You impersonate like, me musically? No, no, not you. I'm just saying when I when I'm playing a gig <laughs> and I'm and I'm into songs, if the song is um, asking for a, for more of a twang, yeah, I'll lend myself to you know a country voice. Or, yeah, I can dig that. Or I can you know I can probably do the East Coast best. I think it's a cool. It's just a cool skill to have to be able to. Yeah, you know, impersonate people. So I wish I could do it on the spot more. So, you know what it is? Michael Caine's from a certain region. It's a regional thing. I think it's Cockney or yeah, or Cockney. something along yeah. those lines. That it's that's like, but so for Inception, 
you like the team as a great like ensemble cast. I do. I yeah. do. I think it, it is like a team flick almost. For sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. They, they have the game plan and, mm-hmm. and get together to kick ass, you know? What is the big daddy of modern American ensemble cast? We've talked about our personal favorites. What's the big one? 1994. Pulp Fiction? Changes American cinema forever. Like a fucking bomb. Seriously. Like, I can't even tell people, you know, that are of, not of my generation, you know, but people that are my age, around that age, will remember how big an event was when Pulp Fiction came out. I was there first show in Pittsburgh. I was in college. I was there first show, day release, because I've been waiting for Pulp Fiction to come out since I saw Reservoir Dogs. You know? Yeah, this was this was his uh, follow-up. Yeah, and I mean, Reservoir Dogs, great ensemble cast, of course. Uh, but this, so once Reservoir Dogs sort of took off in the film community and started, independent film was becoming a big thing, all everyone talked about was Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction. This is who's in it. All these actors start getting acted on, you know, like uh, Bruce Willis is in, Uma Thurman's in, John Travolta. And Quentin Tarantino recently uh, dismissed some of the rumors about the the infamous list that leaked this year. What um, is this? Tell me about the list. So on Twitter, on TikTok, on a, just a lot of social media, there's a lot of heads that love to talk Tarantino flicks because... Oh, know, about who so is going to be cast as who? Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this Tarantino well, you, you, list. Well, you're punching up, well, you punch up the list. Um, I'll continue. You know, Sam Jackson, Bruce Willis, Uma Thurman, Ving Rhames as Marcellus Wallace. Really good performance. Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer as hapless... Two hapless uh, diner robbers that get a lot more than they bargain for. And um, there's a lot of other characters that pop in here and there, but it's an ensemble and it's also split into individual stories involving all these people and how they cross paths. It was not, um, it was not, it was not done in um, straight continuity. The story jumped around all over the place. So it wasn't really a device that was that popular at the time. You see it in some movies and uh, it usually works well if in the hands of a good writer director with Tarantino, you've got one of the best ever and he just knocked this fucking movie out of the park and this spawned when i'm not exaggerating hundreds of imitators this film the film noir dark comedy hitman gangsters there were so many fucking movies that came out and what's crazy yeah what's crazy is and people that try to do it could never do it like pulp fiction nope but then you know who did it and did it like pulp fiction him again <laughs> he just kept putting out movies yeah. like this that kicked ass yeah he found a niche and he is a he is an homageist and he does call back to lots of other you know the films and uh and and things that he likes especially film but uh yeah, there were movies like uh he spawned guy Ritchie. okay i like guy Ritchie, but like with a. Uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That was a Pulp Fiction offspring. Mm-hmm. Two Days in the Valley. Uh, I just, I can't, I can think of, like, there's so many of them. I mean, and this movie is probably responsible for the most posters on people's wall. Yeah. I mean, I think every fucking kid, who, so, every angsty teenager has a Pulp Fiction poster on their wall. You everyone know? had the Uma Thurman Pulp Fiction poster in their dorm room. Everyone had the fucking soundtrack. It ripped. We bumped it at every single party, like Let's house parties. We, 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 you know, we bumped the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Halloween party, no problem. We'll be, you know, Mia Wallace and uh, and Vince Vega and, and they Jules. still do it today. And they still do it to this so day. So easy. You give yourself the bloody nose. You put on the sexy. Yeah, and it's, it's, and it's, it's sexy. So it is. Like, a, you know. it's, a, it's a towering piece of pop culture iconography. It's a Pantheon movie, Pantheon performances. I mean, it's always going to be mentioned as people's favorite movie. Um it's certainly one of mine. It changed, it changed my life as a, as a cinema fan. 
in many ways. It, it rebirthed independent film and got independent filmmakers' budgets. And I mean, if there was no if there was no Pulp Fiction in 1994, I will guarantee you there would never have been a Boogie Nights in 1997. No shot. A couple of movies that I saw in college, amongst a lot of other great independent films. So to, to watch, to, it was cool to be a it was cool to be a film goer during the Tarantino era. And yeah, those and those casts and those those dialogues. True Romance has a killer ensemble cast. I have a Tarantino movie uh, theater story. I mean, I'm I'm younger, so I missed out on uh, getting to see these in theaters, and so fucking jealous. But I saw Django night of release with my dad and my sister. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's my favorite personal favorite Tarantino flick, and I mean, it's an ensemble cast in its own right. I mean, fuck, you're looking at Jamie Fox, uh, Leo. You got a. Christoph Waltz. I mean, Christoph Waltz, Oscar hardware. I think he won for the movie, did he not? Yeah, he won for. He's, yeah, okay, he's been okay, in two okay. Tarantino movies. He's got hardware twice, two Oscars, two parts. Hans Landa for Inglorious Bastards, Dude, another I mean, ensemble film. A Taran- a Tarantino t- deals strictly in ensembles. Well, Tarantino getting getting a lead Tarantino role is a it's red panty night. You know, I mean, you're gonna win something. Did like, you say it's a red panty night? Yeah, it's a Conor McGregor quote. <laughs> I was gonna say you've been talking to your dad too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you never. Conor McGregor used to say back in the day, he said, "You get a fight with me, you tell the old lady to throw in the red panties." <laughs> yeah, and then he'd lose usually. No, this was bad. <laughs> this is this was in his Pulp Fiction era. <laughs> I hope Jason Stevens, your dad, is listening to this. He's, I'm sure he's going to be very complimented that I associated him with the red panty night. For all I know, he could be having one as we speak. Hello in Africa, Jason Stevens. And he probably looks great in them too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we had some uh, we had some listener requests about some ensembles. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first if you don't mind. Yeah, um, sure, please do. My friend uh, Caleb Weiss, one of my most respected pals, and as far as movies and TV shows and music, what's up, Caleb? He doesn't fucking miss, man. The kid, he's he's great, and uh, he re- he recommended to me to bring up something that completely slipped my mind, and that as well. That's ensemble cast and animated flicks. You got to think people are voicing these sure. people, you know, and the movie that he recommended was the Pr- the Prince of Egypt. No, I haven't seen it in a long time. I mean, look at this: Val Kilmer, Ray Fiennes, Sandra Bullock, Steve Martin, Patrick Stewart. It's nuts. I mean, what was the plot of the Prince of Egypt? Um, did it not follow Moses? Am I crazy to say that? Yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like I saw it when it came out. Yeah, it's just, I was it's, uh, DreamWorks Studios, which is Spielberg, Katzenberg, and David Geffen. That was their first big animated project, and they yeah. just decided to go out and get every award winning actor. That was out there on the board to voice this project. And I think it was a pretty good movie, as I recall. Music by Hans Zimmer, by the way. Oh, well, you know, that's a check in the positive box for sure. But um, when, when Caleb sent this uh, to me, I, I had, had to think on it for a second. And it wasn't until we started recording this pod and, and I got into, you know, looking on the Internet. How fucking good is Fantastic Mr. Fox? I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> not, yeah. to, not to throw it back to the homie. Yeah, Wes yeah the aforementioned Wes Anderson but, uh, did a stop motion animation film called The Fantastic Mr. Fox. If that's missing from your filmography, I mean, check it out. George Clooney in the total role. Schwartzman, Bill, Bill Murray, Meryl Streep. Ogles yeah, it's like, the, the coolest Fox ever. I'm not going to lie, I was doing a pretty killer killer Willem Dafoe impression in my car today by myself. What, from, from what? From the Green Goblin? Spider Man 1, yeah. What does he say? You can't do this to me. <laughs> Can you say I'm something of a scientist myself? You know, Peter. <laughs> Someone of a scientist myself. Willem Dafoe's, uh, Willem Dafoe's awesome. And, uh, you know, I, the, the, uh, the, I didn't think about the animated things when you brought that up. Do you remember Spider-Man 1 well? Do you remember when um, he looks over and he notices Peter as the cut and it's the first time he realizes he's Spider-Man? 
and he's got to get up from the dinner. Mary Jane's he, sitting there eating with his son, Harry, and he's got to he's got to bounce. He's like, I gotta get yeah, the fuck out of here. Yeah. Well, he looks at he looks at uh, Aunt May right before he walks. He goes, enjoy the fruit cake. <laughs> I like when he I like when he bombards Thanksgiving dinner, and Aunt May's saying the Lord's prayer, and she starts screaming, and he's like, finish it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real son of a bitch. Oh, and, and his, he would then have another run-in with Aunt May and Spider-Man. Yeah, um, got the, we got to call him back. Like, yeah. He took out Aunt May. I don't know. I, I was on the phone with my brother earlier, kind of giving the rundown for what the the episode would be. I mean, did we want do we want to bring Marvel movies into ensemble cast? Because I feel like they have to be eh, an ensemble cast. You know, cast. I feel like Marvel gets so much love, you know. It's going to get more love from us. I was looking at the release uh, the release calendar for next year. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Marvel again in February. Sort of, the, I think the last week of February, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania comes out, um, which will be the next Marvel movie that we probably have to talk about to some extent. We'll have to call on one of our Marvel correspondents. But for um, that. I was thinking about a request list that we got from some homies, and oh, uh, yeah. I want to give a shout out to the brother Mike Canole, who uh, suggested um, he dropped the Best in Show as an example. But Best in Show is one of a series of mockumentaries made by the great writer-director Christopher Guest. And uh, he has an ensemble that he uses for a great deal of his films, like Waiting for Guffman, A Mighty Wind. Waiting for Guffman's about community theater. Hilarious. Uh, Mighty Wind's about folk music. Hilarious. Best in Show. What do we got there? (laughs) Best in Show. um, So you always have Catherine O'Hara, who a lot of you guys may know from Schitt's Creek as the mom. Uh, I first encountered her in Be- Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, yeah as yeah. Mama Dietz. Yeah, um, Eugene Levy, Fred Willard, <laughs> I, uh, I Parker Posey. Him, but... Oh, the indie sweetheart of the '90s and 2000s, Parker Posey. All really funny people doing pretty much 50 percent or more improvised dialogue, no matter what the subject matter is. The seed of Christopher Guest uh, ensemble cast slash. You know, um, cinema company. John Michael Higgins. That's a name you don't hear often, but that dude is fucking funny. He's very funny. John Michael Higgins played David Letterman in an HBO movie about the Leno versus Letterman wars called The Late Show. And he was very good as Letterman. Yeah. He really looked like him, too. Christopher Guest, that whole crew that Canola's talking about, these people are fucking hilarious. And it is largely improvised while it's being filmed. And the seed of it is in a film from 1984 called This Is Spinal Tap which is the funniest rock and roll movie ever made. It is a documentary, and the big knock, not the big knock, the big thing about Spinal Tap was that for decades, people, including musicians, were not even aware that it was a mockumentary. They thought Spinal Tap was a real band, which in a sense they were, because those guys did play their own music. Yeah, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, and Christopher Guest. But it was such a spot-on lampooning of like heavy metal, <laughs> heavy metal in the 80s, that everyone just thought it was a real band, and uh, it's <laughs> it's hilarious. And the, if from that point, and some there's some a couple other actors that would pop up in the later movies. Well, there's a lot of bands from the hair metal hard rock scene of the '80s that you could have inserted in a Spinal Tap, and they could have fit the fucking role. Yeah, you know, oh for sure, role, so. for sure. And uh, you know, if you talk to our our pals that are musicians, you'll find a lot of big Spinal Tap fans. Absolutely, M- Marty Lesh, big Spinal Tap guy. Um. But the, have you seen it? Have you seen some of the mockumentaries? Have you seen, you know, like Mighty Wind or Best in Show? I haven't seen those, but I have seen This Is Spinal Tap, and um, I'm I'm not familiar with all of his work, but you know, if 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 you if you have some love for it, I gotta. They're they're definitely you know. worth checking out. And for you guys, if you're interested in like improvisation, and and having a good laugh and like and good interesting 
characters. Check out the uh, the the mock documentary films of Christopher Guest. Um, thanks to Canole for that recommendation. Anyone else throw some goodies at us? I mean, Tyler DeJean gave us 35. Yeah, Tyler DeJean gave us about 20 or so. Yeah. Uh, one that he pointed out that I will give a mention to you because it was written by a great ensemble writer, a playwright by the name of David Mamet, and uh, one of his films... That's your was, boy, isn't it? Don't, aren't you a huge fan? I'm a huge fan of David yeah. Mamet. One of his films was adapted by the director James Foley, I think, in 1990, and that movie was Glengarry Glenn Ross. This uh, this is an ensemble. Punch the cast up for me, Stevens. I'm going to tell the people a little bit about it. Jack Lemon, Alan Arkin, Al Pacino, Kevin Spacey as a bunch of, uh, you know, they sort of remind me of timeshare salesmen, but they're just guys that are, they're guys that are involved in um, scamming people with real sketchy land and real estate deals. And um, this is, revolves around sort of their day-to-day life in an office set in a small room, lots of tension, and contains an absolute tour de, four, tour de force performance from Alec Baldwin, who pops up in the middle of the movie for about 10 minutes, gives a speech, and dips. <laughs> and it's still used today. And like, I believe and it to be one of the greatest cinematic soliloquies of all time. The always be closing speech. Also known as the coffee is for closer speech. Also known as the fuck you, that's my name speech. Put the coffee down. Yeah. Put that coffee down. You call yourself a salesman, you son of a bitch? <laughs> you see this watch? It's worth more than your car. I know the whole fucking thing. I'm not going to bore people with it. Even if you don't want to watch a movie filled with America's greatest actors about shady real estate salesmen, go ahead and Google Alec Baldwin's speech, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You can see one of the best pieces of acting I've ever seen in a film. Seven minutes, maybe? Got him an Oscar Award nomination that he didn't win, and I can't believe he didn't. That's one of those Oscar outrages that we'll probably talk about some of these days on the podcast. So, um, great recommendation from Tyler Dijon, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Well, there was one more Tyler Dijon recommend, recommendation that I saw, and my brother also sent it. I'd be remiss if I didn't. We haven't really mentioned a, a full-blown comedy yet, and fucking Tropic Thunder, man. <laughs> yes. We've been having lots of laughs about Tropic Thunder. We bring up Tropic Thunder in... In conversation. <laughs> in, in conversation. Which of you, you and myself and our friend Lydia, a new listener of the podcast, were talking about Robert Downey Jr.'s performance uh, yeah, as a, Kirk a historical, Lazarus. Historical performance that we'll probably never see anything like it. So. Did he? I think he was award nominated <laughs> I have been for that movie. Nom- and best performance by an actor in a supporting role. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. For the Oscars. Yes. What was the problem with Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in Tropic Thunder? Um, some think it's a problem. Some he got away with it through the sat- a satirical loophole. Absolutely, He's, he plays a method actor who a method actor who does blackface. Who does a, blackface? Who has movie. surgery to make himself appear to be black? Yeah, and uses black mannerisms and black language, black slang, some negative black euphemisms, um, and the rest of the cast. You know, you have he's surrounded with Jack Black, Ben Stiller. At um, one point says to an actual black actor, our people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, our people? Your Tropic people. Thunder made me laugh my ass off in the theater so hard, and it still does. A really, really funny movie. Um, a good recommendation from Tyler Dijon. Uh, he also directed, I will say, I won't go into detail about his films, but if you'd like to watch these groups of massively talented actors get together, uh, check out the films of Robert Altman. Uh, came up in the 70s with films like M.A.S.H., which, of course, became a, one of the most successful television shows of all time. Nashville, 
Uh, he did some cool stuff about the motion picture industry. The Player, a fantastic movie from, I think, 1989 with Tim Robbins and Ensemble Cast. All his films of Ensemble Cast. Shortcuts. Um, a wonderful director, and I think that one that maybe a lot of newer fans out there have maybe never had an opportunity to see. So if you want to see some really character-driven, rich um, films with wildly talented casts, like all sort of carrying the load together, like a team, uh, Robert, Alt the films of Robert Altman, something to check out. Absolutely. Any, do you want to add any more of these, uh, any more of these squad films to, uh, to the list? I keep trying to come up with different I mean, words. Got, I feel like I've said some, ensemble 50 times. We got times. some late uh, clutch text. Um, Did your brother throw, throw into us? My brother and my sister hit me up and said, The Big Lebowski, don't forget it. <laughs> All Coen Brothers films. Same. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're sort of seeing a trend where some of America's most uh, like celebrated auteurs tend to work with deep benches. But I think we need to remember an ensemble cast doesn't mean a, a gr Look, every movie that we've mentioned has a great cast, but what makes an ensemble so important is that not necessarily one particular person shines it's a load shared by many that's know? what i'm saying yeah. but and when it's in something like i mean I'll, I'll i'll definitely i'll bite on lebowski as being an ensemble picture i mean jeff bridges is clearly the dude the main character right yeah but who else is in the big lebowski uh julian moore steve mm -hmm. Shipley, uh john goodman sam elliott i just who else uh as philip seymour hoffman Oh my God! I completely forgot. Yeah, is Brant the Big Lebowski's assistant? Fuck. Yeah, he pops up everywhere. I'm telling you, like, I think he's one of the the greatest. Well, no longer living, he's one of the greatest American actors ever. And we he, just do a real uh, uh, the and he shines, but he can play lead roles. But he fucking shines in these ensembles. Like when he's in an ensemble in a comedic role, I laugh. He makes me laugh and cry in Boogie Nights. But I mean, in this movie, in The Big Lebowski, is Brant Philip Seymour Hoffman is. Uh, is fantastic. Just what a weirdo, like sycophantic douchebag. I mean, what do you think PTA said to him before they shot that first porn scene in the movie? Like, I need you to, to hold it up. I need you to be sweaty and I need you to be shaky. And yeah, <laughs> just hold this boom mic above your head and but look, hold this boom. Get aroused. Yeah, hold it above your head like you're a fucked up weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> experience palpitations, you know, like great nonverbal acting right there for oh, real. Just, I love Philip Sumerhoff and we will have an episode in his honor of the Good Pals podcast. For sure, yeah, and if, and if we didn't get to your good aunt, recommendation, Kelly, on uh, that's Haley. Oh, Haley, Kelly is probably <laughs> Kelly's seen, mom. Kelly's daughter. Kelly's my mom. Yeah. You see this? We're doing a podcast together. I don't even know my family. No, I just got the two names mixed up. I know your family. I'm just fucking with you. Damn, man! I know Jason Stevens is getting in red panties. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, a lot. Know. of I think I think uh, you know a lot of these films we're checking out. If you like this kind of thing. Yeah. And we're sorry if we didn't, you know, get to one of your recommendations, but you know, when the episode's out and we'll, we'll read some of them again and hopefully we'll get them in the next one. Yeah. A tremendous, tremendous shout out to you guys that sort of jumped in and uh, made some requests and engaged with us. Like we want you guys to know that we're paying attention to the stuff you ask about and the, and the stuff that you point out and we want to discuss it. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is like the joy of our week. Like, yeah, we really look forward to this and the more you guys engage with us, the more, we get excited about putting a, an, a, an episode out. Seriously, yeah. I think mm. I want to put. I think I want to put out a little nibble for for episode three for everybody. Please be my guest. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say exactly what we're gonna be talking about the next episode, but their discussion the discussion topic is going to be food in movies. So it could be a movie about food. It could be a movie about cooking. 
It could be a movie that features food prominently. Like, I'll throw this out. Um, I think about food in movies. I think about the garlic slicing scene in Goodfellas, right? With the razor. Yeah, you got to... So they melt in the pot or they... Uh... Yeah, so they liquefy in the pan. There you go. Liqu- yeah. Oh, or the gravy even, you know. Tell Michael to keep stirring the gravy. I'm stirring. I'm stirring. <laughs> so Goodfellas, sure, that's a food movie in a way. Food is fetishized and spotlighted and... And, and shown off and is an integral part of the plot of so many films. I want to hear from you guys what food movies you would like us to talk about because it ties in with our review and uh, that's something that we're going to be announcing once we get this thing in the can and release for you guys to listen to. But throw us some food movies on Instagram or on Facebook. Yeah, both at, uh, the, both at Good Pals Podcast. Yeah, at Good Pals po- Podcast on Insta, Good Pal- The Good Pals Podcast on Facebook. Yeah. Um, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. Please rate it. Please leave a review. That helps us get more exposure, which we're hoping to get because it's been nice to know that people have been listening to this and digging it. I'm having a really fucking good time doing it. How, are, how about you, Steve? Is you enjoying it? It's a fucking bla- it's a blast. I'm trying to settle in. I feel like uh, you're so goddamn good at this. We're about <laughs> to watch a movie right now as soon as we get off the air here. Should we just tell them what movie are we watching? Um, no, let's, let's save it just cause, uh, we got a, we got a day. We'll dr- what do you think about getting some more content? You want to do some more photos? Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening. It's the good pals podcast. I'm Maddie. I'm Zach. And, uh, just, uh, keep your eyes open. We're going to try to have an episode out every Monday. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for us on Mondays, guys. Thank you so much for your support. We'll see y'all soon. See ya.